Hey everyone, welcome back to the Study With Me podcast. Hope you guys are well. On today's episode, we'll be covering the Napier-Whorf hypothesis of language, thought, and communication as part of psychology GCSE. I say this is a little memo during the beginning of every episode, but this project has initially been started by me as a form of my personal revision. All of my information is sourced from resources provided to me by my school, and I follow a structure that aligns with my exam board syllabus. I take GCSE AQA psychology, thus some of the content I may cover may not be relevant to you. Anyways, I think I've covered everything. I'll try and keep all of my information as easy to understand as possible, so let's get started. Today we'll be covering the Sapir-Whorf hypothesis as I mentioned before, which is the opposing theory to Piaget's theory of thought before language. So, there are basically two forms of the Sapir-Whorf hypothesis we should know which are the strong and the weak version. The strong version of this theory states that thought is determined by language. If a language of a culture does not contain a word for an object, speakers of that language cannot think of said object. Now, the weak version or soft version of the same theory refers to the hypothesis that language influences how we think and perceive the environment. Words help carve up the world you can, you can still imagine things without having the word for them. However, speakers of a language which have that said word perceive things slightly differently and find it easier to think of that object. The Sapir-Whorf hypothesis supports the idea of language determinism, which refers to how the structure of a language affects how we think, and then language relativism, which refers to how people... Sorry which refers to how people who speak different languages perceive the world differently. Now think of it this way. In the Philippines, it's said to have approximately 93 ways to say rice, while in English there's only one. This may suggest that Filipino speakers experience and perceive rice differently to English speakers. The primary evidence often used to support this idea is the Inuit language. Sapir used research from Boas, who described the Eskimo language to have more than 20 words for snow, depending on the research that you use, which suggests that the Inuits are able to think and perceive snow in a different way than English speakers, who only have one word for snow. This idea is supported by the difficulty faced translating certain words from other languages into others. Now, generally speaking, the weak version of the Sapir-Whorf hypothesis is preferred, as even Sapir and Whorf, who did believe in their theory, believed that language and thought was far more complex than this. While there is more evidence to support this theory that we need to cover, I prefer not to make this episode far too long, so I promise I'll cover them in the next, which would be variation and recall, and then the difficulty distinguishing colors and language. So that should be interesting. However, today we're just going to cover the evaluation points for this theory and call it a day. Now, a strength of this theory is that it explains the link between language and intelligence because the linguist Bernstein, I hope I got that right, or Bernstein, investigated the restricted codes which are spoken by middle class children and elaborate codes spoken by the upper class. These codes are simply the kinds of language spoken, simple and complex. 
He argued that working class kids will always fall behind in school because of restricted code and the negative impact it has on their ability to think because they're restricted by a limited language. This supports the idea that languages, inf- not languages, sorry, that the language and the difficulty and complexity of the language we speak influences how we think. Now, a weakness of this theory is that just because a language has many words for an object doesn't mean that the word came first. Now, because the Filipino language has multiple words for rice, we need to understand why. This goes, the same thing goes for the Eskimo language. This suggests that the language may reflect the environment of the population, allowing the speakers to make finer distinctions between different aspects, for example, of snow or rice. This then actually supports Piaget's theory of thought before language. So yeah, it just provides evidence that a schema had to be formed before the word came. Another weakness is that the evidence from Boas from the Inuit language may have been exaggerated. Other researchers like Pullum have been investigating the languages of the Eskimo and uh, the different words for snow. And it was argued that it was just a really big hoax. From there, um, it's been found that there are actually only two words for snow, which are, please, I know I might butcher the pronunciation, but Quenik and Aput which are snow in the air and snow on the ground. In English, we also have many words to describe the different forms of snow, like blizzard, sleet, and flurry. This challenges the idea that, not the idea, this just challenges that language may determine thought as the differences in language between cultures is not that great. That's all I'm gonna cover for today. I promise I'll cover more in the next episode, but I just don't feel like it's a good thing to overload you guys because personally, I don't like listening to hour-long hour long videos because I get fed up. Or just podcasts, generally. I like listening to podcasts, but just not hour-long. Yeah. Um, I'll stop talking now. Uh, good listening. Please listen to my other episodes. Have a nice day. Bye!